the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Tremendous amount of electricity. It is just booming through the headset today. In the plushly acquainted, I must say right now, there's only two of us here. And that's the way we like it on Hogan Road. What a weekend. The party continues this week if you are a Jag. The party continues this week if you are a Knoll. Can't think of a better Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for all you good guys and gals out there. Just spectacular. And uh, resiliency is the word I want to use. The ability to come from behind, at least for Florida State. That's kind of been a major talking point all year long. Watching this game yesterday, and, you know, there's all this conversation about here it is. This is it. The rivalry for decades to come. It's Trevor Lawrence, it's C.J. Stroud, it's Houston, where the Jaguars had struggled. What did it have been, like 10 out of their last 11 or something crazy like that? I don't know what it was. I'll have to look back on it. Houston had really had their number. Of course, Jacksonville won uh, at Reliance Stadium in 2022. They did the same thing yesterday. But it was apparent to me, regardless of the score, it felt like Jacksonville was the better football team. You know, sometimes eyes lie. Sometimes the score doesn't equal what you saw out there for 60 minutes. It just felt like the Jags were the better team, and they had to overcome an injury. We'll find out about Cam Robinson now, the injured reserve, so it's at least four weeks. You hate it for the big guy because this is it. He's played well. I, I felt all along that that situation was kind of unusual, because in my opinion, Walker Little is your future left tackle. And I hope Walker Little plays well enough the rest of this year that this team is interested in re-signing him to a long-term contract. I really hope that that's the case. All right, some recent signings with that offensive line. If all of a sudden now, you can question them. The Ben Barch situation, who's in San Francisco. Luke Fortner, who continuously has been a starter at center for a year and a half, yet he's been bullied. Uh, in the ditch. They made the right move by allowing Juwan, um, you know, by allowing Juwan Taylor to leave. And he just was overpaid at the right tackle position. Same thing now with Cam. Cam played well in his return, but but now's a real look at the only thing we know for sure in 2024, and that's Walker Little at left tackle. That's Anton Harrison. At right tackle, we don't know about left guard. We don't know about center. We don't know about right guard. So this will give us a little bit of a better understanding. But you're not really thinking ahead to 2024. And that's what's great about all of this is that, wow, here we are, last couple of days in November. And where I just took you is probably where maybe less than 5% of you have actually gone. You're so invested now in what's happening on this Monday. What about an off day tomorrow? 
What about no media access on Wednesday because of a Monday night football game? And all of a sudden, here comes Cincinnati. They're struggling, an opportunity. And it feels like Jag fans, there's constant worry, right? And I hate it for you. You're always looking over your shoulder. I mean, the text line here is burning up already. It does each and every evening from 6 to 8. But I got a lot of, hey, Blue, now that uh, Joe Burrow's out, do you think we'll get flexed out of Monday night football? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. You know, the Jaguars haven't had a Monday night football game since what? Ronald Reagan was in office. I'm, I'm like, no, nah, I think they're going to stay with the Jags here. I really do. But, but I understand it. Again, this trepidation. There, there's uncertainty. We, we know how the national media treats you uh, as fans and how they treat this football team. I mean, they're forced to do some work now because Jacksonville goes out and plays good football almost every weekend. You know, the exception being obviously the first time they met with Houston and San Francisco. This team's rent hot. This team has now won nine straight on the road in the regular season. If you go back to last year, we know what happened in Kansas City in the playoffs. But if you look at late last year, three straight on the road, and then, what, 6-0 and zero this year, if you include both games that were played in London. It's incredible what this team has done. And what happened yesterday? On a day where Travis Etienne got, uh, I think, 24 touches, but really gutted things out. You know, apparent chest injury, and we'll know more on him midweek. But yards were tough to come by. Calvin Ridley kind of absent for the first 30 minutes of play. Then he flipped the switch. Christian Kirk flipped the switch. Trevor Lawrence again for a second consecutive week threw the deep ball. It was his highest passing average in his career, over nine yards. And he had four completions of 42 yards or longer. It was frankly a pleasure to sit back and watch. No sacks allowed yesterday by the offensive line, which continues to be under a microscope. And look what happened defensively. They went out and they made plays. You're going to have to pay Josh Allen. He's making more money each and every week. You can't allow him to get away. Trayvon Walker all of a sudden is playing better football. I'll tell you what, some of those rotation guys, I haven't seen all of the pro football focus grades. I have them right here in front of me. We'll go through them a little bit later on. In the, in the program, uh, here you go. I was going to mention Jeremiah Ledbetter as a guy that I thought that at least I noticed three or four times during the game, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he had the second worst grade, uh, only behind Trayvon Walker. I, I don't know why I reference Pro Football Focus. I, I, I guess it, it runs through the, uh, the arteries and, and the veins. I wish I could just rip it up and throw it away. Uh, You love to use it when it supports your case, but there are other times if you read Pro Football Focus, it clearly states you do not know what you're talking about. How dare you mention Jeremiah Ledbetter on your radio show? How dare you? We have him for a 39.8 grade. In Pro Football Focus terms, he shouldn't even be playing Division I AA college ball. Yet, what did the eye test tell you? The guy created some havoc yesterday. I mean, he's a snap count guy. What's he going to give you, 12 plays a game, 15 plays a game? Devon Hamilton unable to give it a go? You know, you're relying on your entire roster, and 
Anyway, it, it, it boils the blood a little bit, but I'm not going to let it bother me because there's way too many good things going on right here on a Monday edition, and that includes the Jaguars, a winner once again. So they have a two-game lead in the AFC South. They hold the tiebreaker over Indianapolis, and yesterday's win was so significant that, believe it or not, it's not even Houston anymore as a wild-card team. It ends up being Indianapolis who would grab the seventh slot. If the playoffs were this weekend, the first round by would be Baltimore with a record of 9-3. and three. And they're not perfect. For those who watched that game last night, they're far and away from it. Uh, Kansas City is a two-seed, would play host to the seven-seed, Indianapolis. Okay, the three-seed is Jacksonville. They would play host to Cleveland, a sixth seed. Of course, that matchup is already coming up in two weeks, um, two weeks from yesterday. That'll be in the cold in Cleveland. But, again, that's a beaten-up bunch. I mean, it really is. They have quarterback issues. They have Amari Cooper, who is out. They have Miles Garrett, who is out. They're already without Deshaun Watson. They're already without Nick Chubb. That's a tough team. It's it's. You know, it's so far away. It's 13 days away. Who knows what it's going to be like weather-wise. But don't you kind of want – and this is what's great about being 8-3 and three and having a two-game lead, including the tiebreaker over Indianapolis. A two-game lead and you split the one-and-one one with Houston. But what's really cool about all this is no longer can we say, hey, the Jags can't win in the cold. Hey, the Jags can't win – out on the West Coast. Hey, the Jags can't win on Thursday. Hey, they can't win on Sunday. They can't win on Monday. They can't win at 1. They can't win at 4.30. They can't win at 8. They can't win in London. They can't win on the East Coast. All of that's like gone. It's all gone. And it doesn't matter where you play. Jacksonville's playing hard and they're winning. Don't you just for what could be? Don't you want a cold-weather game? Wouldn't you like to see what this football team's all about in 13 days, going to Cleveland and, and, and playing? I, I don't know if it doesn't need to be the one that Brando and uh, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman called on Saturday night, which was Kansas State-Iowa State, a ball game in the snow. It doesn't have to be uh, of that significance, but wouldn't you like to see if they can play a cold-weather football game? Because... Right now, the two seeds ahead of them are Kansas City and Baltimore. And if you play them in January on the road, chances are in Baltimore and in Kansas City is going to be bitterly cold in the mid part of January. So why not get that type of test coming up one week from Sunday? I hope so. They they avoided a very cold game, what could have been a very cold game, obviously by getting Buffalo. And that matchup back out in London a few weeks ago. Boy, the Bills are really scuffling. They're in it every week, but they just find ways to lose. That franchise is incredible, man. It really is. That that Lombardi trophy is given to the Buffalo Bills at the end of every September. And then they just fall apart. Right now, they're nowhere near the playoffs. Let's see. They're 10th overall right now. They're behind uh, the three wildcard teams. Uh, the last matchup in the AFC I did not mention is a four-seed Miami playing host to a five-seed 
in Pittsburgh. So if you look at the three wild card teams, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Indy are five, six, and seven. Remember, only one bye now in both the AFC and NFC, uh, respectively. Houston and Denver at six and five. Buffalo at six and six. That's the tenth overall spot, and they will now head to their bye. And when they come out of the bye, they get Kansas City. And it's at Arrowhead. It could very easily be six and seven, um, you know, getting ready for their final stretch of the year. All right, so we got a lot to do as far, uh, you know, as far as the Jaguars tonight. Uh, again, uh, Trent Bulky, in my opinion, gets an A plus for the signing and the handling of McManus. Yeah, I tweeted it out yesterday, and sure enough, what happens? Brandon McManus misses a 55 yarder. He had made 19 in a row, and yesterday, the 40-yarder, 48-yarder, 53-yarder. It had been really kind of an ugly deal around here since Trent Bulky arrived, not knowing what was going on with the kicking situation. Obviously, that included the, the year of Urban Meyer and the big mess there, but they just came and go. That one training camp, we had like six or seven different kickers, who came and went, boy, they've really settled on a good one now. you got to feel confident about that, right? Knowing that if the game is on the line, that, that the trust in Brandon McManus right now is just enormous for the Jaguars. So Trent Baalke deserves all the credit that he is receiving for that particular signing during the offseason. All right, want to talk about Florida State, Florida as well. Um in a way, kind of went the way that I thought it would. The crowd would take over early. Uh, Certainly, Tate Rodemaker early on in this game was not ready uh, mentally, emotionally. I thought Florida State did a really poor job offensively with two three and outs. The defense gave you the classic bend but do not break. It was such a missed opportunity for Florida because they really had a chance to slice the throat of Florida State. I mean, they started the game with consecutive 13 play drives, and they just ate up the clock. It it was just insane with what they were able to do. I mean, Florida made five of their first six third-down conversions, and it didn't matter if it was a run. It didn't matter if it was the short passes. I thought early on Mac Brown, uh, Max Brown looked really confident. He didn't look like a freshman, but questionable decision-making by Florida. Poor coaching by Florida. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to kill. You have to chop the head off the snake when you're up 12 nothing. Right? You, you took advantage of just a god-awful call. One of the worst calls I've ever seen in the history of football on a legitimate sack by Akeem Dent. And they called it a late hit. I mean, it was one of the most bizarre calls that I can ever remember. And instead of forcing a field goal opportunity, we know that Florida went on to score. It would be their only touchdown of the game. So you get a safety, man. Florida State's rattled. You're up 12-0. You get a free kick. There's five minutes to go in the second quarter. You're up 12-0 at Florida State's 46-yard line. And what happens? A three and out. 
Brandon, uh, Brandon Fisk, or Braden Fisk, excuse me, Josh Farmer. They, they force an intentional grounding by Max Brown. And Florida State is able to get that football back, take it the entire field, and make it a 12-7 game at half. That was the turning point right there. Even though it went back and forth, there was another lead change in the second half. That was a massive mistake by the Gators. They were running the football during that particular time with FSU. They tried to get a little too cute, and it ended up costing them. To credit Florida State, to credit Mike Norvell, the credit defensive coordinator, Adam Fuller, they made some defensive changes, and it worked. And they tried to get cute. They called the timeout with 20 seconds left, and they tried to sneak in some backups. It was the only play the entire game that true freshman Conrad Hussey played at safety because Knowles has not played well. They had him out. Uh, they basically stayed with Sergio Brown and Akeem Dent. Uh, but Kevin Knowles, had, I think, had one snap in the game. He, he got really um, exposed against Miami. So they made a change there, which I love. I love it when they screw honor, screw loyalty. If you're not playing well, you don't play. That, that's the way it is in big-time business. We're not talking high school stuff here. This is college. So they sat him down. They, they bring in Hussey, and you look at that play by Johnson where he goes like 57 yards. They try to get cute. They brought in some backups there. They had Omar Graham in at linebacker. They had Hussey. So Florida took total advantage of that, or – we're just talking about two defensive players at Florida State who aren't nearly as talented as either Bethune or Lundy or DeLoach or in the case of Hussey, I don't know who was off the field that had to have been either Dent or Brown. Florida took advantage of it. And um, so the momentum kind of flipped somewhat right before half, but we know we missed the f- uh, they missed the field goal. So uh, second half, Florida State made adjustments. Florida State went to that three-linebacker set, which was brilliant. It worked. Um, you know, I, one, of the great, one of the great marks of being an outstanding coach is adjustments. And we talk about it all the time in the NFL, right? We don't spend enough time on it in college. And I always will say this about Jeremy Pruitt. He was one of the greatest in-game defensive adjustment coordinators that I've ever seen. And when he went to Florida State, things he did in the first half, things that he would change up and do in the second half was remarkable. He went to Georgia. He did the same thing there. Now, different styles of defenses, different types of personnel – the great thing about uh, the great thing about him defensively is that he understood what he had. He understood what his team did and did well, and used it as an advantage. Instead of being stubborn, instead of being a rockhead and thinking I have the best system in college football, that was Jimbo's Fisher. That that was always Jimbo's fault. Jimbo, you you, you meet Jimbo in a bar right now. Jimbo Fisher's going to tell you, I had the best offense in America. I just need a quarterback who can run it. So, Jameis could run it. Uh, Christian Ponder, maybe, kind of. 
Uh, E.J. Manuel, um, a little bit of it. Sean McGuire, maybe a taste here. A taste, but instead of changing with your talent, changing with what you do well, getting away from what you don't do well, that's the mark of an outstanding coach. Pruitt was one of the best. Forget about all the shenanigans with him. I'm talking about in-game. Fisher was not. And you see two different programs. Florida State, Adam Fuller making the changes with Randy Shin that they did defensively in this game ended up being the difference. And once again, on that side of the football, Florida State, in 11 of their 12 victories this year, their defense was incredible in the second half. Okay? The only game that they stubbed their toe was at Boston College. They were up 31-10 and nearly let it go. Every other game, you know, Miami, they allowed that big touchdown. I'm not saying mistakes don't happen, right? I'm not saying teams didn't find ways to, to score at times. But if you look at Florida State, first half and second half, and what their defense did in the second half, they almost say to their team, how much can you get us? Because we're going to give up somewhere from three to seven points in the final 30 minutes of football. And that's it. So get on out there and outscore them. And we'll do our service, and there you have it. This is a win by their defense. And great players made great plays with the game on the line. Jared Verse and Patrick Payton are NFL football players. Uh, They've done a nice job this year as well-rounded edge players, both in coverage at times, Payton getting his hands up, pass blocking, you know, uh, pass batting balls down. Leads the ACC in that category. But, you know, we're in a world where all anyone cares about are sacks, right? Quarterbacks hit, uh, quarterback hits, sacks. They were struggling in that category. Not on Saturday. Six sacks, two and a half for Verse, two for Peyton. They came up huge. Akeem Dent came up huge. Kalen Deloach came up huge. Braden Fisk came up huge. Uh, Some of their relief guys really did some good things. Malcolm Ray played a very good football game for FSU. And offensively, you know, I I talked about it all last week. Trey Benson, he was going to be the difference maker. And I'm glad that they stayed with him because he got bottled up early. He almost looked disinterested early. Am I wrong? He looked it, but they just kept feeding him. The ball, and you know that he is a home run hitter. He has the ability to break one eventually. And he scored on a short yardage situation, which has been petrifying all year, yet they found a way to get it in. And then he scored on those uh, two longer runs, which ended up being the difference in this game. So take a little bit of pressure away from Tate Rodemaker, who made some big throws. I think he's a tough kid. I do. I don't know if he's the answer. We'll see what happens Saturday against Louisville. We'll see what happens after that. I think it's a coin toss whether or not he's the guy for 2024. But he was good enough to win on Saturday night. And right now, that's enough. We'll we'll see what happens next week, obviously, against Louisville. All right, much more in college football to get into, as well as on the Jaguars. Opening comments are brought to you by Schmunez Vision. Holidays right around the corner. How about a new pair of eyes for the holidays? Laser eye surgery. 
okay? Imagine the rest of your life never having to worry about contacts, glasses, readers, any of that. Uh, Maybe you're getting a little bit older, as we all are. Maybe you believe you have a scenario where you have a problem with cataract and that it's bothering you. It's your cornea. There's something else uh, that you're seeing with your eyes that uh, are a struggle. And you may need cataract surgery. Well, they're the best. You may not. It may be a simple remedy that they can provide for you. All you got to do is is set up an appointment and go ahead and meet them. I've known Dr. Neil Shmunez forever. Dr. Catherine Shmunez as well. Talking about more than 30 years worth of experience when it comes to laser eye surgery. I'd love you to just check out their website. It explains everything for you. Okay, you, your family, your kids, your grandparents, everyone that you can think of, check it out today. Go to schmunezvision.com. That is schmunezvision.com. Care you can save. All right, when we come back, let's bring in our buddy J.J. LaSelva. Let's talk about the Jaguars and their big win. Florida State as well, if you want to get in on that. Any thoughts at all about that game or rivalry weekend? What an intriguing one that was. The best way to get us is on the text line. That number is 641-1010. And that is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. That's going to be a big week around these parts. That includes Thursday night. Miller light out on the road. Monkey's uncle out at the beach. Oh, and I will have in my back pocket two tickets Jaguars, Bengals. More details to come, but that'll be Thursday night, six to eight, out at the beach. Monkey's uncle. Wednesday night, our yearly event with the J Fund, which is truly one of the greatest days of the year in Jacksonville. And you, as our listeners, continuously outdo yourselves. Last year, we had a record-setting evening from 6 to 8, but I'm going to put it on you once again and ask you to reach deep and help out uh, kids right here in Jacksonville. It's a very, very emotional day from first thing in the morning up until uh, late in the evening. So we'll do that on Wednesday. Uh, but in the meantime, we got a lot to do tonight. Just after 6.30, I am Rick Ballou along so the incomparable J.J. LaSalva, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. Uh, had to go to my family's. I went to the in-laws. A lot of running around. I, I basically didn't watch, like, any Thanksgiving games. I mean, I they were on at the houses and stuff, but every time I glanced at the screen, it was a blowout, and I'm like, I'm out on this. Hmm. But Where are the in-laws? Ocala. They're okay. all in Ocala. Okay. Um, but... The rest of the weekend was phenomenal. I guess. And just f- packed full with football. I even caught myself watching the Friday. I made the mistake of going to urinate with two seconds left in the half no! of the Dolphins game. Yes. I thought you could say two seconds left in the game, Alabama. Auburn. Oh, hell no. No way. Never. Um, and so that was when they threw the Hail Mary pick six. And so I come back, and my mom's like, you might want to rewind that. Yeah. But, yeah, great weekend with the family. I gained six pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fifth pick six in one year for Brand? For Brand? Bland? Is it? Yeah, bl- I guess it is Bland. Let me look it up. 
A kid at Oklahoma has six. Um, pick sixes. Yeah, and, and yeah, bland. Yeah, bland. And and you can say what you want about rivalry weekend, but man, it's legit. And we saw it Thursday night with Mississippi just barely eking by a five-win Mississippi State team. Okay, that that continues obviously with what Alabama did on their final play at Auburn. I mean, just insane. Here I am, a Heisman Trophy winner, or a Heisman Trophy voter. Clearly, there's a difference between being a winner and a voter. I'm a Heisman Trophy voter. Could have fooled me. Right. And, you know, I, I feel pretty safe about saying my vote for the last couple of weeks has been down to three players. Two of those will face off against one another this coming Friday night when it's Washington and Oregon. They'll meet for the second time. Well, here's Michael Penix at home against the five-win Washington State team, and they barely hold on 24-21 in a rivalry. Uh, Kentucky comes from behind 31 second-half points (laughs) to win at Louisville. It just, you know, it goes on and on and on. Clemson, Clemson scores 16 points on the road at South Carolina, and it's enough. Uh, Florida, Florida State, it, it was just one after another, a sensational weekend. Ohio State, Michigan, of yeah, course. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no better definition of throw the records out the window when right. you have Auburn lose to New Mexico or New Mexico State, I don't even know. And then the next week, turn around and basically beat Alabama. Alabama had to have a miracle to win. Paul Feinbaum has turned into such a hack. And I never have listened to him, but his stuff will pop up on Twitter. And there are times that I'll see it. But the fact that he said he was not surprised by the ending of Alabama-Auburn is one of the greatest lies in the history of sports media, okay? <laughs> Auburn had a 99.9% chance to win that game. Fourth and it, 31. It was one of the most incredible. It was, it was basically Doug Flutie against Miami, Boston College against Miami. Well, that was more of a Hail Mary. He did accurately find his receiver in the back of the end zone. But you've got to be kidding me here. I mean, it's okay to say you're surprised. It's okay to say, wow, I didn't see that coming. And sure enough, fine by, oh, you know, I wasn't surprised. Of course you were surprised. Oh, my God. The I whole world was surprised. Jumped no, no, off no, the couch with my in-laws like it was, you know, saw the second coming of Christ or something. No one thought that that was going to happen. It's amazing how how people are are, are are so scared to admit even that they're surprised by something. I mean, yeah, you, you it would have been a massive upset, a, a, an enormous upset, especially after what happened to Auburn last week. It was in the New Mexico State. And in the context of, you know, Bama, you, you are supposed to be the one who's just going to go right through this thing and all the carnage around you is going to allow you to get to the college football playoff. It was almost their part of the carnage. You know, like everyone's like, oh, Bama's going to – possibly beat Georgia and maybe they'll both be in and and now it's like oh my god Bama's gonna lose to Auburn like, yeah. and then it didn't happen I know it didn't Man. I don't know how 
Feinbaum well, does. Ask Paul Feinbaum. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he called for it. Well, what's going to happen is that, yeah, I mean, it's, everyone's going to be shocked. I'm not even going to watch. I'm going to go grab myself <laughs> another scotch. It's going to be fourth down and 39, and he's going to pinpoint – Jalen Monroe's going to pinpoint a 45-yard bomb into the corner of the end zone, and the wide receiver's going to give you a little bit of a toe-drag swag for the win. My favorite part was Auburn having a spy on him. Not rushing the passer, not covering anyone, just like – just in case he has a 31-yard touchdown run, mm-hmm. I got a guy kind of hanging around around the line of scrimmage. Genius. <sighs> Rushing blow. I mean, that's two in a row. Two years ago, remember, Tank Bigsby did not fall in bounds. That's two in a row that Auburn, I mean, they absolutely had it over Alabama. So, so where are we at now is there's so much nonsense out there. We we clearly don't know. I, I have said this all along. Alabama has so much street cred. They have more than Ohio State. They have more than Michigan. They have more than Oregon. They have more than Washington. They have more than Florida State. They, they have more than anyone outside of Georgia. So if Alabama beats Georgia, they're both in. And Georgia obviously can take care of that on their own by just knocking them off Saturday Saturday afternoon in Atlanta. But if Alabama wins, and, you know, I've spent a great part of today trying to get a textbook definition on how the college football foursome comes about, okay? As a Heisman Trophy voter, this is not a lifetime achievement award. You are supposed to vote only on the games that were played this year. And it ends this weekend. Okay? That's it. That is the criteria for being a Heisman Trophy voter for that award. For the college football playoff, I've looked at things they count head-to-head. Strength of schedule. uh, The four highest-ranked teams. It doesn't say anything about the four best teams. It doesn't say anything about injuries to key players because I, I think this is fair right now. I, it, in my opinion, here it is. And, J.J., I want you to agree or disagree with this. If Florida State wins and they're 13-0, and zero, they deserve to go to the college football playoff. They, they were undefeated. They were 13-0. and zero. They deserve to go. Now, if you ask me, Is Florida State one of the four best teams in college football? I'm going to say no, they're not. They lost Jordan Travis. I I think right now Florida State loses to Oregon. I think they lose to Washington. I think they lose to Ohio State. I think they lose to Michigan. I think they lose to Alabama. I think they lose to Georgia. I think Florida State's probably the seventh best team in college football. But I don't know the definition of the college football playoff. If Georgia beats Alabama, I think it becomes Georgia-Michigan winner of Oregon, Washington, and Florida State. Where are you Where are you with that? Well, they keep it that way. They, the college football playoff, you're not going to find like a definition on their website. They keep it vague for a reason. We all know that. They never state, hey, we're putting the four best in there. 
Because if that was the case, sometimes you'd have like a two-loss team. You know, you'd have some random Bama or SEC West team that has a few losses. Uh, it's not a power ranking. You know, it's that's why we have power rankings, to be like, hey, we think this is the best team or whatever. It's for fun. College football, it's about, you know, if you get through the regular season undefeated in a Power 5 conference, you should be in there. I think FSU is pretty much a lock if they beat Louisville. Um when it comes to Alabama beating Georgia, I don't know if they would both get in just because Texas still exists. I mean, we're nobody's talking about Texas anymore, I know. which is crazy. And they, they beat, beat Alabama. Alabama in Tuscaloosa. They have yet to lose. <laughs> you know, they had a their starting quarterback go out yeah. just like Florida State, and they continued to reel off pretty impressive victories. Yeah. So. Ewers is back. I believe that, yeah, they have Oklahoma State, which, by the way, Oklahoma State almost blew their opportunity. They, they played sure BYU, did. had to come all the way back. And win an overtime. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think there's still a lot more going on than just that. I, I think Texas, is they're not done. They have a lot to say when it comes to this stuff. I, I'm, I, all I can say for sure is if Florida State beats Louisville, they're in. Fans don't look at stuff objectively. Media of teams do not look at things objectively. Your point is right on. Texas went in and beat Alabama in Alabama. Okay, can can you imagine? And I, the the best way to go about this is to always bring up the obligatory: What if the shoe was on the other foot? The 96 rematch around here. Not one of my colleagues would admit to the fact that that game never should have been played again. But it's all Florida State homer media. If that shoe was on the other foot, and it was Florida State who was the better team and got the second opportunity, those same people would have screamed bloody murder. Can you imagine if it was Alabama who had knocked off Texas? But then somewhere down the road, Alabama lost to an LSU, kind of like Texas lost to an Oklahoma. And they won the rest of these games. And and, and let's just say for the conversation, Oklahoma State was ranked number one in America, whatever. And Texas went off and beat Oklahoma State. Every single one of those SEC fans, every single one of those Alabama fans would have said, what are you talking about? We went in to Austin and we beat Texas. We should go. Now that it's the other way around, you won't get anyone to come out and say that. That's why I made the point that Alabama has the most street cred in college football outside of Georgia. No other team is even close. They're one and two, and I I do believe. I'm going to go against you here. I think if Bama wins, I think both SEC – I do. I think both SEC teams get in. And I think Texas and Florida State are left out. Depending on what happens the rest of the way, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that would – I would go insane if that happened. You know, like like what's even the point of having – you know, Texas might as well have not scheduled that game then. Might as well schedule a cupcake and just beat the brakes off them and, you know – you know, save the because uh, yeah. you know the pa- thing about the pounding your team takes going up to ta- uh, Tuscaloosa and winning. You know, like 
Might as well not even play that game. There's a reason why they always tell these teams, hey, schedule good non-conference opponents so it looks good for the playoff committee. If we're not putting them in after beating the team with the exact mm-hmm. same record as them, we have serious issues with the playoff committee. I, I, I guess they're just praying for Georgia to knock off Alabama, and they're really praying for Louisville on Saturday. Yeah. That's I why mean, we had this crazy text where he says, I don't see how Florida State doesn't get in the playoff even if they lose to Louisville. Oh, no, they're they're part of the media frenzy this year. They want FSU in. Are you insane? No way. That's nah. the hottest take I've seen. All I mean, year. you've got Paul Feinbaum, you've got Matt Berry, you you got a lot of people out there with national voices that are already coming out and saying that Florida State doesn't deserve to go because their quarterback is hurt, even if they win. Right now, I made the point that I don't think they're one of the top four teams in America because they lost Jordan Travis, but I also made the point that if they win on Saturday, they deserve to go. Okay, and I think the only way they don't go again is if Bama knocks off. Georgia, then you're putting two SEC teams in. and But typically things work out. Oklahoma State will beat Texas. Louisville will right. beat Florida State. Um, you know, I, the winner of that Pac-12 game is getting in. That, if Michigan wins, they're getting thing. in. Yeah, people aren't saying, like, people are assuming Washington gets beat, by the way. Oh, they're a huge dog. And that they just, well, they're nine and a half point dogs. Like, there's another one. You can keep an Oregon out. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they're going to have one loss and they're going to mm-hmm. be looking like a four, top four team, but they're not Alabama, you know, when it comes to name. Nope. They could keep Oregon out and it would, people would be upset at first, but they'd probably get over it. You wouldn't hear too much about it. But if Washington wins that game, they can't not put Washington in, you know, undefeated. And so that would that might hurt Alabama. I I don't. Man. They wouldn't. You wouldn't suspect Georgia even if they lose to Alabama. You think Georgia's still in, right? I Unless do. they get like completely blown out. That's the only way. Right. I, I mean, if it's a woodshed game, because I mean, if, their schedule's been right, not super tough. If they're within fourteen, if they're within ten to fourteen points and they lose, Georgia's still in, in my opinion. And I tell you what, if let's just say it was a crazy day. Let's say Oklahoma State beat Texas. Let's say the Louisville would love that. Let's say Louisville beats Florida State. Let's say Georgia beats Alabama. You know who's going to come out of nowhere? Who's got maybe the third loudest voice in college football right now? That's Ohio State even though they just lost to Michigan. I saw one of those crazy, you know, ESPN has like percentage of chance that they still get in the playoffs like it's dumb to even say that because we know it's just people making a decision. But they did have Ohio State oh, yeah. still with like a 30%-plus chance to get in. I know. I didn't even think about them. It, it's it's crazy because, you know, you can say they lost on the road uh, to a team that is ranked, what, second right now? In a fairly close game. And in, uh, in all of the world of, uh, of college football. All right, give us your reaction, 641-1010. On our text line, hey, even the great ones rest. The Blue Crab Crab House off today, but they're back at it tomorrow. How about a great stocking stuffer? Right now at the Blue Crab Crab House, you can get a $50 holiday gift card, and it comes with an additional $15. So a $50 gift card is really a $65 gift card. Also available, holiday parties, a private dining room, just go ahead and give them a call at any time, 260-CRAB. 
260 crab. Of course, tomorrow night, $2 margaritas. Wednesday night, dollar oysters. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 4.30 to 9, Sunday noon to 9. Again, the number's 260 crab. Pick up a $50 gift card, which is actually good for $65 only at the Blue Crab Crab House. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, Cam Robinson placed on the injured reserve today. That is bad news, obviously, for the first-place Jaguars. Cam has played well since his return from uh, suspension. Really felt for him, uh, towel over his head, tears in his eyes, uh, knowing that it was an issue, uh, obviously problematic. It's the same knee that he tore uh, back in 2018. Do not know how significant the injury is right now, but it's going to cost him uh, four games. So they did make some moves today, uh, Jacksonville did. And, you know, again, I, I, I'm i crediting here moves that Trent Bulky has made. There's a lot of criticism that he didn't go get Jadavian Clowney, who has what now, seven and a half sacks, uh, Leonard Floyd, who has 10 sacks. I mean, he had an opportunity to get a pass rusher. He didn't. I know that that's what people wanted most. But today they put him on the reserve injured list. They did sign Chandler Brewer off the practice squad. They also went out today off the street and added a couple of practice squad players. Offensive lineman Keaton Sutherland, as well as offensive lineman Jimmy Murray. But, you know, Ezra Cleveland was added. And a lot of people who thought automatically with 49 career starts playing for Phil Rauscher earlier in his career in Minnesota that he would automatically be slotted into the left guard uh, position. It didn't work out that way. You know, we saw that it was Little who really struggled in his first game at left guard. Not not the 11 snaps before the injury. I'm talking about post-injury. But now, you know, in a way there's this – there's part of me that wants to see him at left tackle and hopefully he hangs on to that position for the next five, six, seven years, you know, that he, and and I don't want it to be over for Cam Robinson, but I mean, the guy who knows how significant this is, it's going to cost him at least four games. You know, Jacksonville's got only six remaining in the year. So if you bring him back, you're talking about the final game of the year, perhaps the final two games of the year, that would be the most. And then the playoffs, and obviously the Jaguars in real good position right now uh, for the playoffs with a record of 8-3 and three with six games remaining. Got a lot of positives, too many positives, uh, frankly, yesterday uh, with the Jaguars winning on the road again. I mean, that is just insane. Nine straight road games. If you take away, you know, in the regular season, I'm not talking about the loss at, uh, obviously, at, uh, can't, uh, excuse me, uh, Arrowhead last year during the division around the playoffs, but last three regular season games on the road. And, yes, say what you want about me, but I'm counting both games this year in London, okay? Six and zero away from Jacksonville. Think about that for a moment. Because right now, what are you doing? Right now, you're playing for that top seed. And 
it's going to be a four-team battle. You're taking on the top seed, Baltimore, at 9-3, and three, Kansas City at 8-3, and three, Jacksonville's a three-seed at 8-3, and three, Miami is a four-seed at 8-3. and three. So, so those are the, the three teams you're fighting. And we can all look ahead at the six games that remain home and away in this and that. And I get it. And that's going to be a big part of our thinking. And I totally understand that. But I also believe now you can think about it this way. They've won nine straight on the road. So if you bring up Baltimore or you bring up Kansas City, and I understand Kansas City's really been, there's your house of horrors. But you got a you got more than a puncher's chance because you've been you've been on fire on the road. So if you have to go to Baltimore or you have to go to Kansas City or you have to go to Miami, typically, you know, look over the years, wild card weekend, and I know that those numbers, because of the way that they do the seedings with divisional winners, case in point last year. Jacksonville, what, won the division with a record of nine and eight. There's always been talk. Should you put higher-ranked wild-card teams above divisional winners if, you know, the second-place team from one of those divisions has a better overall record than a divisional winner. That that's always seems to be a conversational piece, but they never really get to it because instead they're talking about, oh, let's eliminate the onside kick and keep the defense on the field and give the other team an opportunity to make it, you know, fourth and 15 or – Let's move back to PATs. You know, they bring up a whole bunch of nonsense instead of really attacking um, critical issues, in my opinion. Jacksonville's fearless on the road. That's the feather in the cap you got to take with you now. Okay, you're telling us if you win the first round game here, you win your second round game here, uh, you know, assuming that you move up from three to two, or even if you don't and you stay at three and you got to move up so that it would eventually take you to, what, number two Kansas City and then number one Baltimore? You feel better about that now than you did a year ago, right? That's what this football team is doing. Uh, the biggest concern that I have right now with the Jaguars is running the football. And, again, I thought yesterday – was a deal where the eyes were better than the actual numbers, if that makes any sense. Uh, Tank Bigsby only got one carry yesterday. It was for six yards. It was a good run. I, I was kind of hoping he'd get a little bit more burn. It, it didn't work out that way. Uh, I'm still surprised to see the total for Dearness Johnson was seven carries, 19 yards. Now, we all remember his 42-yard pass reception which was spectacular. But with the nine, with the seven carries that Johnson got, I'm really surprised that he only ended up with 19 yards. His long was seven. So that's an average yesterday of 2.7. The Jaguars yesterday ran the football 30 times, okay? Travis Etienne, 20 for 56. That's an average of 2.8. Johnson, seven for 19. That's an average of 2.7. The one carry by Bigsby for six yards. 30 carries, 81 yards. Take away, all right, Trevor went two for zero. So it ends up being running backs, 28 carries for 81 yards. That's an average of 2.7. That's not nearly good enough. 
And uh, before we head to this break, and then we're going to get to you on the other side, Travis Etienne right now is second in carries in the NFL. He's got 194, okay? He's averaging 3.7 yards a carry. He's down from 5.1. And what's crazy about all this, it feels like he's having a better year, right? I mean, he scored seven touchdowns. You know, my, my, two, uh, my two lock plays, uh, there's nothing worse than a guy who will say, I told you so. I told you so. I hate those people. They're so obnoxious. They're so rude. There's nothing worse than an I told you so talk show host. But, folks, I told you so. Play the AFC South, Jaguars, cha-ching, and play Travis Etienne over 41 and a half receptions. So far, he has 36 for the year with six games. Remember, cha-ching. That's big money right there. He scored a touchdown as well receiving. But, you know, that that is a drastic drop-off. 5.1 to 3.7. And, you know, how, yesterday, let's see, 20 touches, four receptions. So he, he had 24 touches yesterday. It's great. He's a bell cow. But is he wearing down? That's what I wonder. And I've been saying this for quite some time. They're going to need a second back. I I believe that Dearness Johnson, and that's the part I'm trying to get at, his seven carries for 19 yards, in my mind, is misleading. It looked like a better effort from him yesterday. And I think he's earned more playing time. But if you look at it for the season, you know, ETM, 194 carries, an average of 3.7. Tank Bigsby, who actually, you know, helped his average yesterday with a six-yard carry. Tank Bigsby has 36 carries for 86 yards. That's an average of 2.4. And then Dearness Johnson has 26 carries for 86 yards. That's an average of 3.3 a carry. That, that's not nearly enough. But let me wrap it up with saying this. Last four games at Pittsburgh, two carries, eight yards. San Francisco, three carries, 12 yards. Last two weeks, seven carries apiece against Tennessee and Houston, especially against Tennessee. When he got those carries and when Tank Bigsby got those carries, uh, Jacksonville was was cruising through a big lead. So Mike Vrabel and Tennessee defensively knew that Jacksonville was going to run the football and take some clock. I, I think you have to consider that when looking at his seven carries for 20 yards. Yesterday, however, that's not the case. It was a one-possession football game. And, you know, Jacksonville was a pretty good mix of 30 rushes, 38 passes. So I... I still am encouraged here, but this has got to get better. And, you know, it's good to see that he's gotten seven carries apiece in the last two games. I think he's going to need to do that the rest of the way through. But there's got to be more yardage uh, as far as I am concerned. Anyway, if you want to give us thoughts on that, you can. 641-1010 on our text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. All right, we got much more to do. Take you up till 8 o'clock tonight. Plenty on college football. 
Rivalry weekend, including Florida State's win. Our thoughts on the college football playoff, as well as the Jaguars' victory yesterday. Go ahead and light them up. Uh, 641-1010 on the text line. That's brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting text rolling in, as always, our brilliant listening audience. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And the party continues for a lot of us out there, right? Knowles, Seminoles, Florida State, yeah. Georgia. All you dogs out there, that's scary. Although Georgia Tech played with you a little bit. It it feels like they're turning that thing around. Florida State opens up with Georgia Tech next year in Dublin City, Ireland is where they're going to kick off. And I believe the U opens up with the Gators next year. In Gainesville City, Florida. I'll be there. Will you be in Dublin? Yeah, I'm thinking about it. It's it just the timing's so hard because it's with Jags, and- right? It's right. That's like my favorite time of the year. I absolutely love training camp, and it's anything but lip service. I know there's a lot of members of the media that hate the off season, mini camps, and uh, and you know training camp in August. I absolutely love it. Uh, to me, it's one of my. I just can't get enough of it. I, I just love practice. I I go to practice now if they allowed us to go out there. It's just, you know, you're only allowed out there for about 10 to 15 minutes. You really don't see anything outside of them, you know, in their stretch. But, yeah, I just I, I can't see me going over there because of what I miss here. That Florida-Miami game, by the way, huge mystery of who will be the quarterbacks for either team at this point. Right. I mean, Miami, it looks like they don't even have a rostered quarterback to play in the bowl game. Rumor is that Van Dyke's going to hit the portal, so he's not going to play. And then, obviously, we saw Emory Williams break his arm against Florida State. And Ja'Curry Brown is trying to hit the portal, so he doesn't want to play either. Word on the street is they're, like, trying to convince Brown to play just in the bowl game. So they have a rostered quarterback. And then, of course, Florida. Van Dyke not going to play in the bowl game? No, they think he's going to go to the portal. Um, I had uh, my sister's family, you know, his their oldest goes to the U in his graduating. So they were all back for Thanksgiving. They all went to balmy Chestnut Hill for the BC-Miami game on Saturday. Miami looked good. Yeah, they did. I thought after the first drive, you know, considering everything that happened this season, the close losses and everything, they go down 7 nothing. I'm like, uh-oh. But, yeah, they played well. They played really good on offense. Um, but, yeah, it's a shame that bowl season has be- kind of become, you know, we used to have, you'd have to worry about who's going to go to the NFL, you know, because now he's not going to be on the team for the roster for the bowl game because he's going to the NFL. Now you have to deal with the guys going to the NFL early. Also, the guys that are looking to transfer and they don't want to get hurt, so it's like these rosters for the bowl games are crazy bad. Yeah, it's it's really foolish to bet. Oh my god! On a lot of these ball games, and if so, like for instance, let, let's just say for the conversation that Florida State 
wins against Louisville, but is left out of the college football playoff, regardless of what bowl they go to, I don't care who they're playing. You basically have to pick the other team because you know that Benson, Coleman, Wilson, Verse, those guys aren't going to play. They're not going to play in a meaningless bowl game. They're not going to, especially when they watch their quarterback go down a week ago. That that's all the proof they need. Uh, I mean, exactly. There's there's no other way to say it. The the only ones that are going to definitely remain are the four teams that play in a college football playoff. But you're right about that. But who knows who the I, I think Graham Mertz returns. I agree uh, for Florida, and I actually think this Max Brown kid with a little bit of development, I, I think he's got a chance to be okay. Obviously, they'll have lagway, but it'll be. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if he's starting against Miami as a freshman week one. Yep. And, uh, you know, Miami, we'll see what happens. What if Carson Beck leaves Georgia? Then all of a sudden they have to bring in a new quarterback. And I I think the situation right now with Tate Rodemaker, okay, he's got to play well against Louisville. He's got to play well in the bowl game or in the college football playoff, or all of a sudden, I think Brock Glenn is a part of the conversation or the transfer portal. That's the thing about the, the portal. Like, quarterback, the team that you cheer for is going to have a guy at quarterback potentially next year that you're not even thinking about, you know, that's on a roster somewhere yeah. else that you have no idea that he's even going to leave that school. You know, that's just how it works. At least in the NFL, you can be like, okay, this guy's contract is up. He'll be a free agent. It's just, it's the Wild West. Who was the best transfer quarterback this year? DJ um, Uliangalele was good. I thought Graham uh, Mertz was really good. He, he was. He was 20-3. and three. Touchdowns to interceptions. Sam Hartman had a good year at Notre Dame. Uh, it, was a, it was a pretty good year. Obviously, Sanders at Colorado, even though Colorado lost their last six games and he got injured. There was a ton of movement this year. And the guys that have been at a school for, like, two years, you're like, oh, they've been there for, like, Bo Nix. Yeah. He's a transfer guy, but you think of him now as just, like, an Oregon well, guy. Michael Penix. Well, there's another. Didn't Jordan Travis transfer? Yeah. Travis been there for four years, but he left exactly. Louisville way back. Uh, 7601 says, boy, I think uh, Carson Beck returns to Athens for one final ride next year. If he does, do you think his hometown sports radio station – would get behind him and start a Heisman campaign, or would they bow to UF since you guys have the rights as the official station of the Gator football? That would be disappointing. Well, you know, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, but I will tell you this. I've been a longtime Heisman voter. They don't want me to campaign. They don't want me to mention who I'm going to vote for until after it's announced. Yeah, they've had they've threatened to take people's away for that. I'll tell you right now, my Heisman vote is down to three people, and two of them face one another this weekend. Okay? My third is not even playing. So those are my hints. You can do whatever you want, but I take it very seriously. The guy who's not playing, by the way, if I think I know who that is, had another phenomenal (laughs) performance on Saturday. The... um, when I started with this, schools used to send you all sorts of stuff. They, they used to really promote their players. And I'm, I'm even, I mean, this is going back a while. I even when Jameis, that's 10 years ago. 
probably have to go back to like around Tebow or something where, um, you know, they'd send you this, they'd send you that. And I, that's another thing that, you know, college football has got its own set of rules where the Heisman committee told the universities, told colleges, you're no longer allowed to send, you know, posters or bobbleheads or whatever it used to be that, right. that they would send that, that stuff is, I didn't been know gone that. for a oh yeah because I remember like long period of time in Joe's cubicle you know back here we have like an Ed Oliver <laughs> Houston uh, bobblehead for her his Heisman campaign which is hilarious you know Ed but, Oliver at Auburn no Ed Oliver didn't he play at Houston a defensive tackle oh it's right Ed Oliver yeah they beat Florida State and um, in a bowl game you know before the season he he was a big name as like the defensive guy who might be a finalist Never at or all. whatever yeah. Oregon always does Buffalo. like a Heisman campaign with their quarterback in New York they always pay for a big time um i guess you could call it billboard but it's huge it's a lot bigger than a normal big billboard in Times Square they did it again this year with Knicks i mean that goes back all the way mm-hmm. to like Joey Harrington oh yeah oh yeah no doubt I'm sure Phil Knight. Yeah, he's a marketing genius. We all know that. 34-55. Baloo, what would happen if Florida State beats Louisville 31-10 and Alabama beats Georgia 17-16? Well, I'll tell you something right now. There are going to be a tremendous amount of upset people, whichever team gets left out. I think Florida State, if they win, they're in. But if you have a Bama one-point victory over a number one Georgia, you, you the one thing you can't compare between Alabama and Florida State is street cred, is, is the recent reputation. Bama's going to win out. People are going to say every year the SEC wins a national title. And last year, Nick Saban was complaining. He said if he had been part of the Final Four last year, they would have been favored in three of those four games, even though they lost to, what, A&M. They lost to LSU. Uh, you know, they, they were heartbreak losses. What, go for two, that last second field goal, whatever it was. I, uh, But do you understand where I'm going with this? There's not a lot of schools in college football that that have that over everyone else. And right now, in order, in my opinion, it's Georgia and Alabama. And then it's a big-time third drop. And I tell you who I think's third. I still think it's Ohio State, even though they've lost three straight years to Michigan. That's my opinion. Look at the respect Clemson got. Clemson's won 10 games or more for 12 straight years. They lost two games, and they got kicked out of the top 25. Imagine that happening to an LSU or an Alabama Notre or a Dame. Georgia. It just, Notre Dame was left in the top 25 all season long. The they voters, had no business being in there. The AP and the coaches said to Clemson, forget about it. You lost to Duke? And then Florida State beat you in overtime? Bye-bye. I mean, this is a team over the last 10-plus years has won national titles, has been into the Final Four, The play, has been clearly – in, in a handful of one of the top five teams in the last 10 years in college football is Clemson. But they lost two Clemson. games, yeah. and they got kicked out of the top 25. They're that doesn't happen. In, still in, Clemson. That wouldn't happen with Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan, and it wouldn't happen with the Blue Bloods in the SEC. It happened in the ACC. 
I mean, those are facts. So, honestly, 31-10 Florida State, Bama over Georgia, 17-16. Well, the winner of Oregon-Washington is in, and if Michigan, which is what, a 24-point favorite over Iowa, if Michigan wins, honestly, the answer to that question, I think both Georgia and Bama would get in, and Florida State would be left out. That's that's what I see. I, I could be dead wrong. I could be absolutely dead wrong. But that's how I would answer that question. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, all the Jaguars do is win. We find ourselves today spending a little bit more time on college football, which sadly is coming to an end. Championship Saturday, Army-Navy, and then... 77,000 bowl games. Uh, This report just came in from ESPN. Uh, This is from uh, Chris Lowe. Can we confirm that, in fact, it's not an AI report? That they're dumbing off to some non-pictured reporter? They're coming to take me away. We've had Chris Lowe on this station before. I believe he is a real person. But, yes, if you haven't heard, Sports Illustrated, the website, yes, the magazine that we all got growing up, they got busted by posting stories online that weren't just written by AI, but they had a byline of a writer. And if you click on the writer, it turns out two of Sports Illustrated's, quote, writers aren't even real people. They're fake AI creations, pictures and everything. Wow. Anyway, Chris, the Monte Teo of <laughs> yes, exactly of uh, of sports reporting. Well, anyway, this just in a moment ago, according to Chris Lowe of ESPN, Alabama Georgia will meet in September during the regular season, twenty twenty four. A scheduled game for September twenty eighth in Tuscaloosa. What a matchup that's going to be, and the beauty of that one with the new 12-team playoff format, the loss to that game will mean absolutely nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a college basketball loss. In the Maui Invitation. And that's, that's fine. I, I, I think we're going to get better games. You know, of course, Oklahoma and Texas uh, joining the, uh, the South Yeah, Michigan speaking Conference. of that, they also made the announcement that Texas-Texas A&M is the last regular season game, which... That ends our 15-year nightmare of not ever having, like, the Friday after Thanksgiving to me, that's always what I think about. You know, that's yeah. the first game I always thought about. The Mike Elko-led bunch. Yes, which in his press conference, they're already singing and dancing, and the cult of A&M is in full and He's never going to win there. I don't care how, Mike, how good Mike, I mean, you could bring Saban there. You could bring <laughs> Belichick there. You, you just, there are certain things in our life that we know are going to happen. And one of those is Texas A&M is never going to win a championship. It's, it hasn't happened since like 1930. But I'm inspired by that. If, if like Florida State does knock off Louisville and Florida State does get left out of a college football playoff, I know the station wouldn't support me on it because we – are the Florida Gator radio station, but I'm going to go independent and get like 
Glenn's Liquors. I'm going to announce <laughs> that like Glenn's Liquors is coming back to life, and they are handing Florida State a national championship, kind of the way Central Florida picked up and raised the banner a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, what? What? There's one that I forget that uh, Alabama claims oh, from the 1940s when they had like four losses. They finished oh, yeah. like fifth in the SEC, but they claimed the national championship. College football's always been so screwed. It's, it's so ridiculously screwed up. Um, we do have college football breaking news uh, okay. from Gainesville. So first major shakeup from an obviously terrible 5-7 and seven season. Florida has parted ways with secondary coach Corey Raymond and defensive line coach Sean Spencer. Hmm. Probably not going to be the last to uh, be fired. I would agree with that. And some undisciplined play out of both those groups. Saturday night in Hogtown. Spitting in the face of someone else. Nasty. Uh, how about the two? How about the two? I mean, Tate Rodemaker's five yards short of the first down marker. And they would get the ball back uh, it's, with a chance to win with a field goal. See, that's bad football, and that, that's, that's poor coaching. It, it falls on the coach. When something like that happens, that's coaching. You're getting the ball back. That, that play was like third. I think it was like third and 23. Oh, it, yeah. was, it was enormous. And it was the first time all game that Rodemaker held on to the ball. And, 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 you know, that's another thing. Tough to criticize when you win, but why is Florida State running all these RPOs if Rodemaker's never going to take the ball? If just hand, once, just hand it off to a running back. Once. Yeah. To uh, just, like, maybe get them to think that you might hold it. Uh, for those of you wondering, uh, coming up this weekend, it begins Friday night. It's a rematch. Oregon-Washington. They're going to play that in Las Vegas. Oregon is a huge favorite. Nine and a half points. And this game is going to take about six hours to play. The total is 66 and a half. Saturday at high noon, Oklahoma State, Texas. Is that a rematch as well? Did no, Texas... they have not played this year. Okay. Let's uh, want to double check that. Okay, yeah, you're right. Uh, Texas, a, a, a real big favorite in this game. The Longhorns are 11-1. Oklahoma State was down to BYU. They had to come from behind to win that. In uh, in overtime, Texas a fourteen and a half point favorite. The total is fifty five and a half. What they did to Tech this weekend, ungodly beatdown. It was like fifty. I don't know what it ended up. Yeah, but they definitely won by forty plus. Georgia getting some money here. All right, this opened up around. I, I saw fives and fives and a, uh, five and a half. So it's now six. Georgia, Alabama. Uh, of course, the dogs twelve and zero. Bama's eleven and one. Both won eight and zero in the SEC. Right now, Georgia up to six. Your total fifty four and a half. That game will be at four o'clock on CBS. Michigan at Iowa in the Big Ten. That'll be at eight o'clock at night on Fox. Michigan is. <laughs> this is the greatest line of all time. Michigan's a twenty three point favorite, yet the totals thirty five. <laughs> I mean, how does that happen? There was a tw- <laughs> so the Nebraska Iowa game this weekend was twenty six point over under hit the under. It's twenty three. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, ten to thirteen. I mean that. So a lot of people in Vegas think the final is going to be Michigan, uh, twenty th- or you know twenty three twelve or or something along those lines. Gosh, Iowa can't score. 
They're 10 and 2, 7 and 2 in the Big Ten. That'll be at uh, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock as well, Louisville at Florida State. This line's changed quite a bit. It opened at Florida State, 5.5. It's down to Florida State, 2.5. Louisville blew a big lead in the second half. Florida State, obviously, now have won 18 in a row. They're a 2.5-point favorite. The total's 48.5. A couple of other games. Conference USA Championship will also be Friday night. New Mexico State at undefeated Liberty. This New Mexico State team, you know, I watched them really early in the year. I grew up, one of my best buds I grew up with in Boston, his son's a linebacker at Massachusetts. UMass beat New Mexico State to start the season at New Mexico State 41-30. It's the same team that beat Auburn. mm Mm-hmm. Crushed Auburn. I mean, they beat Auburn 31-10. They just beat Jacksonville State. They've, they, they've got some nice victories uh, this year. Pretty formidable team. So uh, that's at Liberty. Uh, also on Saturday, you have the MAC championship. That'll be Miami at Toledo. Toledo, a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. You got the Mountain West championship, Boise State, UNLV. Boise State favored by two. SMU at Tulane in the AAC. They'll play for the American Athletic Championship. Green Wave favored by five and a half. And finally, Appalachian State, Troy. That's the Sun Belt Championship. Troy favored by six and a half. That'll be in Alabama coming up Saturday as well. So some non-Power 5 championship games on tap as well. Two on Friday, seven on Saturday. Final thoughts coming up right here on The Intercept. Now, today's takeaways brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. I'm a big fan of Key. I just love my GMC Sierra. I just love when I get to it, start it up, and it purrs like a kitten. Makes my Monday. Makes every day of the week. The, The GF as well. Totally in love with her. Key Buick Enclave. Let me tell you, so we've got a few days here for the phenomenal incentives in the month of uh, month of November. Okay, 24s are in the lot, 23s are in the lot, used cars, so anything you could ask for. It's right there across the street from Tinseltown, South Side and Gate. Take advantage with the holidays here. Take advantage of these last couple of days of November. For me, it's all about this. It's Cam Robinson. The guy played well. You know, the four games after his suspension, it was tough to look at him on the bench yesterday, visibly upset. The left knee, it's the same one that he tore in 2018. He's been placed on the injured reserve. More tests coming. I got to believe it's a, if it's worst case scenario, we'll, we'll, we'll find out about it. Even though Doug Peterson, you know, told us today, um, there are more tests coming. We'll see. Um, the flip side is Walker Little goes back to hopefully where he's going to be for the next five, six, seven years. That's that left tackle for the Jaguars as we're Cleveland in now as the left guard. Big blow for Cam, who could have played his final game here in Jacksonville. We'll, we'll get official word in, you know, i, I got to believe the next couple of days. But he has lost for at least four games. Cam Robinson placed on the injured reserve earlier today. 
Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Keeping 1010XL talking with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop. All right, Hacker, what's going on? Yeah, obviously a big day for the Jaguars yesterday. The fifth quarter was awesome last night, as you can imagine. The Cam Robinson news today was unfortunate, although I'm still a little fuzzy on this injured reserve stuff, Rick. Obviously, back in the day, you put somebody on IR, they're gone for the year. Now you put somebody on IR, they can be gone for four weeks and then come back. And then there was reports out that Cam might be out three to six weeks, Mm -hmm. so he's a candidate for IR. I thought if it was bad, like season ending, we would have found out about it already today. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting if they do bring him back. It would be for Carolina on December 31st. I guess we'll have to see how little and Cleveland are playing at that time. That same field, I, I remember following Senderic Marks off the field into the tunnel, and he was walking, and he had torn an ACL. Mm-hmm. So I ca- kind of got a different understanding I, i'm under the always been on the impression you turn an acl it's a cart and you're on crutches he walked off i'm not saying that's the case here for um cam robinson but when we saw him with tears in his eyes and a towel on his head you knew that was more than just he twisted it that you know and we haven't had a chance to talk to him to know if he actually felt the tear or heard a pop or anything on those lines I tend to agree with you. I, I do think it takes a day probably for that swelling to go down and, and allow them to really get in there and take a look. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I think um, hope for the best, but probably be prepared for the worst. Yeah, and again, I don't know where Rappaport got that, that it's three to six weeks, because he said that earlier. Uh, now, Ian Rappaport hasn't always been right, as we know, but that's the expectation, at least he had, three to six weeks. And if it's six weeks – Obviously, that's not a torn ACL, but it's six weeks. That puts the playoffs in jeopardy. And at that point, do you risk bringing Cam back if he misses a month and a half to the first round of the playoffs if Little and Cleveland are playing well? But it goes to show you, Rick, I mean, you know, look, Trent Baalke, for what he didn't do, getting a pass rusher at the trade deadline, pulls off a trade for Ezra Cleveland, and we're thinking, well, that's weird, right? And now all of a sudden, that looks like a master class move yeah it, it does and he also went out and you know the kicking situation around here was in and out in and out and he goes out and, and and gets Brandon McManus who's been just outstanding uh you know I put it on Twitter yesterday then he goes ahead and misses a 55 yarder <laughs> yeah me but too. he still made three big ones man 43 48 and 50 and the guy's been uh rock solid yeah my guess is Ian Rappaport I don't know this but my guess would be it's the agent that's typically what happens how Schefter and Rappaport get that info. People are like, what in the local media? Well, because they're tied in with their agents. That, that's where they get most of their info, and uh, it is what it is. All right, what else is coming up tonight? Yeah, we're going to do a ton of Jaguars. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, about 20 minutes away. Get his thoughts not only on the last two wins, but Monday night football one week from tonight. First time in 12 years the Jaguars will host a Monday night football game. Good trivia question for you. I don't know if you talked about this tonight. Can you remember the last time the Jaguars played a Monday night football game? Oh, gosh. I cannot. There was two of them. 2011. One of them was Mel Tucker's first game as interim coach. All right. Was uh, when they lost to the Chargers. And then they actually had a game here. Yep. And then they beat Baltimore with four. I don't even know who the – it might have been Scobie. I guess it was Scobie. Four Scobie field goals beat Baltimore. So they had two Monday night games in 2011. They went one and one. Have not played a Monday night football game at home since until a week from tonight. It's going to be 12 
years. Man. We also have Dave Campo coming up, and I'm going to do a little Jaguar Orlando Magic comparison. 120 miles separate the two cities. Teams have been awful for the better part of 15 years. Fan bases stayed loyal, stayed passionate. All of a sudden, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, Powell Bancaro, Franz Wagner in Orlando. Who? Two up-and-coming teams. And we're going to have Dante Marcatelli of Bally Sports to kind of give us a feel on the magic and do that little comparison, Orlando v. Jacksonville, when it comes to the magic and the Jaguars. Barreling through Jacksonville, very, very, or through Orlando, very, very late Saturday night after that Florida State Florida game. Very little traffic. Uh, probably running through there around 1 a.m. So, anyway, all right, have a lot of fun, huh? Thanks, Rick. Have a good show. That's going to do it for us. Uh, we got a busy week, though. That's going to include Thursday out on the road, Monkey's Uncle out at. Uh, the beach. I'll have two tickets. A party sponsored by Miller Lite for the game coming up Monday between the Jaguars and Bengals. The return of Monday Night Football. Uh, of course, Wednesday, it's our yearly J-Fun show from morning into the night. Going to have to ask you to donate to the kids, and it's such a great cause. We put up record numbers last year. We want to break that coming up in 48 hours. That's going to do it. I don't check the text on. If you want to get, you can get me on Twitter, Baloo1010XL. For JJ LaSalva, I am Rick Baloo. Have a great night. We'll talk on Tuesday.